welcome to another episode of the podcast for everything Colombia. I'm your host, Ome Salma Rahemtula. And Dylan Gunnels. We have now had the opportunity to speak with all four mayoral candidates. So we've done it for y'all. One of the mayors, whoever, it's one of them. One of the future mayors has been here and all of them have told us how great this podcast is so <laughs> technically endorsed by the mayor <laughs> and by the formal mayor yeah former mayor he congratulated us on starting it and That's he came true. on our show so we yeah are. if y'all haven't caught up on episodes in the past do that yes we have around six in the bank so please yeah. um please do listen back and this month the month of october we are bringing you two episodes of soda city seeks because there are so many candidates in this race we love it we love to see people getting engaged and throwing their hats in the ring (laughs) but it is a lot so we have committed to bringing you two episodes this month so today um, we'll start off with our headlines we do have a little mini fizz um, and then we'll bring you an interview with uh, Sam Johnson and Mobadura and we'll end with community listings so shall we get started let's jump right in all right The Post and Courier has obtained an investigation that revealed widespread misconduct at a fire station in Lower Richland. Firefighters for months chased each other naked through the hallways, spanked co-workers in the shower, and pinned down fellow employees to perform a variety of unwanted sexual acts. That is actually sexual assault. The inquiry, which led to the abrupt firing of five of the firefighters in May found that supervisors at the Columbia Fire Department's Lower Richland Station condoned and sometimes even joined in on the pranks, hazings, and harassment. The male-dominated station's unprofessional workplace drove a handful of firefighters to seek reassignment and came to a halt only after one abruptly walked off the job in April, sending a text that sparked the investigation. Um, yeah, I have to admit, oh my, it is hard to just jump right to the next headline after that, like... I remember um, one of the reporters for the Post and Courier tweeted that um, some something big was coming, or that mm-hmm. he he was going to mm-hmm. report, and and I was not mentally prepared for the tweet that that gave the information. Like, this is shocking. And what was really disheartening, I think, for me is that I read the article, and it was like five, six paragraphs in before they even used the word the word sexual assault. Yeah. Like, I think there's very much a way that we operate that yes in a male like that sexual assault doesn't happen to men yeah you know and i think the you know i did read the article and the firefighter that walked off the job was like i'm tired of the sexual stuff yeah like he was calling it out a sexual mm-hmm. um assault and, and abuse and you know it took a really long time that article to even have those words come up and i don't think that that's the way we see it. We call it pranks. The headline said pranks. So yeah, yeah. it did, and and I think that's really important to bring up. It, and it goes back to that idea that we saw um, when somebody who was running for the highest office in the land, um, you know, we called it locker room talk. Right. Um, and so the more and more that headlines like this and 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 stories like this come up, I hope that we address it for what it really is and we stop talking about it like it's locker room talk mm-hmm. and recognize that that's part of the patriarchal system as well and it's and this is not okay and it's a power play i think like this really shows how um sexual 
assault and sexual abuse are about power, right? Because yeah. when we look at it in a workplace of men, we think about power and the abuse of power. And that's what that whole article was about, yeah. you know? And it very starkly, it's like, why can't you make that connection that that's what sexual abuse and sexual assault are? Absolutely. So, yeah, I, kn- I know that that's not the fizz. So <laughs> I need to move on because we're not digging in. But I, I, I hopefully... Um, you know, this investigation will continue and we'll learn more information. Mm-hmm. And we are committed to bringing you that information here because it's important. Definitely. Second term at-large Columbia City Councilman Howard Duvall endorsed fellow at-large councilwoman Tamika Isaac Devine in the Columbia mayor's race. When it comes to endorsement in the mayor's race, the council has been split. Mayor Benjamin, District 1 Councilman Sam Davis, and District 2 Councilman Ed McDowell are all endorsing Sam Johnson. Of the five members of the seven-person council who aren't running for mayor, only (laughs) District 3 Councilman Will Brennan has not issued a public endorsement. And of course, we will keep you updated if he does decide to endorse a candidate. A professor accused in three lawsuits of sexually harassing a University of South Carolina student and two faculty members will resume teaching at the school in the spring. Two of those lawsuits filed against painting professor David Voros are still pending. One lawsuit was settled for $75,000. The university put restrictions on Voros that prevented him from coming to campus and engaging in person with students, but since his teaching next semester will be online, it does not officially violate these restrictions. According to the Carolina News and Reporter, Voros will also be receiving a 13% raise, coming out to more than $10,000 more than his 2021 salary. The group Fire Voros USC, a movement of students working to fire abusers at the university, has renewed their calls to USC to fire David Voros and overhaul their handling of abuse on campus. Which, again, is just so parallel to what we were just talking about. Yeah. And I think, again, I mean, I'm not picking on our local newspapers. I mean, I guess I kind of am. But the way that they reported this story was that, a, you know, the twe- a tweet um, from Fire Voros campaign from those uh, university students was false because, you know, they said something like Voros will be back on campus when technically he's teaching online. But the point is that he's being allowed to teach. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what capacity it is in online or in person. Like they're really upset that, you know, he's still being allowed to engage with the university community without holding him accountable. And I think more so than that, it's not just that that tweet had misinformation per se. It had misinformation because the students didn't have any information. Mm-hmm. The students were registering for classes. And, saw. and some students saw that he was listed as one of the teaching professors. And then, of course, that got out and more students started talking about that. There wasn't any public information about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's the even bigger point there is that if students hadn't seen it while enrolling for classes, would this have gone under the radar? And bigger than that, why? Mm-hmm. Why? And I and I don't and I, I'm hesitant to say that's misinformation because you can say Voros is back on campus as like an expression. Like he's not physically back on campus, but teaching online is, you know, colloquially back on yeah. campus. Like it's an expression that he's back in the community. Yeah. No, very true. So I, I'll take that back. It's not mm-hmm. misinformation in the tweet, but I think I, I think the deeper rooted issue for me is not yeah. just that it was the headline said that it was misinformation. It's that 
the students didn't even have any information. Exactly. So they mm-hmm. were going off of what they had. Um, and you and I joked as well <laughs> that this is almost, he got a better deal. Now right. he gets to work from home yeah, for more money. money. Yeah, more, more money. It's so. like, I, I mean... I mean, I like being in class with students, but I won't, I won't lie. I've enjoyed teaching online. You know, since <laughs> I go up to my office, you know, I, you know, just sit down back on my chair. I don't have to wear a mask. You know, it's not a full engagement, but it's still an engagement. Students, there's still an engagement there and there's still a danger there. So we will continue reporting on that as well. Indeed. More than four months after resigning as president at the University of South Carolina amid a plagiarism scandal... Bob Caslin's emails leading up to his last days as president have been released through a freedom of information request by the Post and Courier. In those emails, he called USC the most hostile community he had ever encountered and commented that coming to USC was the biggest regret of his life. Twitter responses from Columbia residents and USC students, staff, and parents say the feeling is mutual. And this coming from a man who worked his whole life in the military. I cannot... (laughs) by that USC is more hostile than the American military. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> wow, we have a lot of editorializing in our headlines this week. <laughs> yeah, we do. The Bull Street District has announced a new upscale apartment complex named Bennett at Bull Street. The development will include 280,000 square feet of amenities, retail space, and 269 units that will house over 500 people. The complex will be located between Boyce and Pickens Street or in between Segra Park and the new state-of-the-art office building currently under construction. And Dylan, I'm sure as someone who works in housing justice, you have something to say about this because, you know, we've commented on every headline today. <laughs> <We> so. <have. laughs> um, mixed emotions, to say the least. Um, you know, I, I think it fits in line with the Bull Street development, so I can't deny that, right? Mm-hmm. You've got the... I think it's town circle or whatever they're calling those um, townhouses that were built by the Moore company. The office complex is is very nice. Segra Park is nice. You know, I, I think it is more an upscale area is the intention that that's going on over there. But I think there have to be options for affordable living mm-hmm. in this apartment complex. I think that's only fair. I, I think when you look at places like people brag about certain places in Atlanta, mm-hmm. in Durham, um, that have these luxury upscale apartments, but what people don't often talk about is while some of those apartments are renting for $3,000, $4,000 a month, which to me is absurd, but those are renting and they're occupied, mm-hmm. there's also a percentage that is dedicated to affordable units. And oh, so you, you might live next to somebody um, you know, that's paying and, and somebody else who has an affordable rate and they're working on their credit and their income and their, and those sorts of things. So I think, you know, I hope that there's equitable standards going into it. I hope that there are those options and those opportunities, but I'm not holding my breath because, um, that's not what happened on divine street. And, and again, I have to say, I'm not upset with what happened on divine street. I I think when you look over there, I think it's like over 90% is small businesses. It's not corporate businesses. I think, you know, you've got development coming in, you've got, um, a, a lot of, uh, wonderful community development that's happening but i also look at an apartment complex that the average individual on is not going to afford and we know that what what happens with that you Mm -hmm. you displace people you gentrify but if it's not true community development you're going to push people out and you're going to gentrify and i Mm -hmm. live Mm -hmm. right near the bull street district i i am in north main colonial drive near columbia college and 
I'll be interested to see how it creeps over. So, And I mean, not that it's the same bucket, but Gonzalez Gardens has not been rebuilt yet. Mm-hmm. We're tearing down Allen Benedict Court mm-hmm. already a year behind. So it's like, you know, private development and public housing are two separate development pots, but there's got to be a way to be able to bridge them um, and prioritize mm-hmm. low-income housing. And mixed income housing, like you say, is going on in Atlanta, which is really nice to hear because I know back in where I'm from, Toronto, mixed income housing only happens when you tear down low income housing. They're like, oh, let's do mixed. But they never think about mixed income when they're building in in middle and high income neighborhoods. So, yeah. Well, and the other problem to that, not to dig too deep into housing justice, because I'm sure we'll do an episode sometime. We'll do many episodes. But the other, (laughs) you know, the other issue with that is, um, you know, what are the standards and what are the requirements that the developers are held to? So oftentimes those mixed income housing or those affordable housing units, they're only required to stay affordable at an affordable rate for a certain time frame, usually like five to seven years. Oh. And so the issue is what happens when it gets outside of the legality. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, oftentimes folks, Interesting. Are, you know, if, if it's an affordable, let's say it's a multifamily structure that got a LIHTC mm-hmm. loan and it's an affordable unit. Well, after five to seven years, did that developer sell it off for a profit? And then a new mm-hmm. developer comes in and, or a new owner comes in and displaces those people so they can raise the rents or turn them into condos. Those are the questions that folks have to be asking. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We can't just, I, I'm excited. You know, and that's what I'm saying. I, I, I hope people recognize like this isn't a political thing. It's not, oh, you're on one side or the other. It really is about people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it really is like we need the best of all worlds. I'm not anti-development. I mm-hmm. want our community and our city to grow. I utilize the Bull Street District. I get, that's the Starbucks closest to my house. I take my dogs to the dog park. I'm not opposed. I love the Fireflies games. Yeah. Like, I know people do not like Bull Street, and it's a controversy, and I understand that, and I think I'm with you. It's like, I want to see nice things, and I also want to see, um, you know, people be able to live comfortably as yeah. well. Like, I think we can have it all. I we really can. do. We can, and that's, <laughs> again, it's like such the buzzword, but it's like, if the root of all we do is centered on equity, we can have both. And those are our headlines credited to the state, the Post and Courier, and COLA Today. So now we're going to move on to the fizz. We haven't had the fizz in the last couple of episodes because we've had, have I mentioned, so many candidates (laughs) in the Columbia election. But we thought it was important to bring you just a few clips from a recent reproductive justice rally that was held um, here in Columbia, but all over the country. So October 2nd was the March for Reproductive Rights. Um, and uh, Dylan and I were both there, and we had the opportunity to record some of the speeches that were given at the rally talking about what reproductive justice looks like. And it's not only about, like, my body, my choice, but it's a very intersectional issue. And so we had um, a lot of diversity and intersectional approaches to reproductive justice, so we really want you to just hear a few clips from that. And um, and it was a great turnout. It was at MLK Park. There was lots of booths set up. It was really... Um, very empowering, I would yeah. say. Like, I I don't think I've been to that many protests in Colombia before. 
Um, and it was really nice to see that it was really led by young queer people. And I really, really appreciated that. Like they were really out there doing all the organizing. And there was the, you know, the older uh, suffragist women that I called them. And I love them. You know, I love the League of Women Voters. I love the uh, National Organization of Women. Um, you know, that's kind of like the old school, you know, women's rights movement. And I really like that reproductive justice in this city is 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 being taken up by by queer folks. And I love that. What I love, to your point, though, is the bridging of the gap, mm -hmm. even between activists. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, whether people realize it or not, even within activist work, within organizations, nonprofits, uh, we can get siloed mm -hmm. very easily. Mm -hmm. It's no different than anything else. And so what I love to see most was um, that intersection of um, the women who have been doing this for De literally decades. I mean, there was a woman that spoke. Um, I don't know if you have a clip of her for everyone to hear, but there was a woman that spoke who just turned 69. Yeah, I didn't get her. Okay. Mm -hmm. But she had just turned 69, and she was talking about she's seen the birth of her great-grandchild this mm -hmm. year. And that idea of literally seeing generations in her family and recognizing that this work is generational. And mm -hmm. I loved how that kind of tied into what you're talking about yeah. is you were seeing women out there who had been doing this work for decades mm -hmm. and they've been there right from the mm -hmm. beginning when Roe versus Wade actually was the Supreme Court topic. Right. And and then 70. but they're out there with youth who are, you know, teenagers and in their 20s um, who are also fighting for the work, which there's some sadness there that we're still fighting um, and going backwards. But at the same time, to see those bridges gap. And, mm -hmm. and that's what I loved, again, I, I, I guess I'm rambling, but the point I'm trying to make, <laughs> again, is like that generational divide is that even in our activist work, sometimes you have the older generation that feels like they've been doing the work and they know what they're doing and so stay out of the way. Mm -hmm. And you've got the younger generation that's kind of like, no, we've got the new ideas, yeah. you get out of the way. <laughs> And this, I didn't feel that no. way. Nobody was saying, get out of the way. They were really working um, together. So here are some clips from the October 2nd March of Reproductive Justice. As a trans person, the language I most often see used when discussing abortion justice does not align at all with my gender. I am not a woman, and I am capable of becoming pregnant. That's right. When the bodily autonomy is framed as a women's issue, it is further marginalizing a part of the population that already experiences a profound lack of gender-affirming healthcare. Defining people by their genitals is not only reductive, it is biologically incorrect. Intersex people exist. Not everyone who is able to give birth is a mother, and not all women are capable of becoming pregnant. This includes cis folks. For the disability community, medically accurate reproductive health and abortion information is typically not even factored in. Disabled people, particularly those with developmental and cognitive disabilities, are routinely desexualized and viewed as incapable of wanting or having children. Without those necessary educational tools, this infantilization leads to disabled folks being highly susceptible to sexual and relationship abuse. This also impacts disabled folks who have the desire to become parents. Bodily autonomy and the right to make decisions about your own life cannot be denied by someone else making assumptions about your capabilities. Yes. Yes. It was after the last rape that I decided to leave. Just to find out a few weeks after that my rapist got me pregnant. 
There is a beautiful trait about feminism. It is always associated with happiness, celebration, and rupture, because it is a synonym of rebellion. In this context, there's hundreds and tons of, thousands of cis and transgender women who are and act as feminists without knowing it because they exercise an intuitive feminism based on their own pride and uprising. And the moment I saw those two pink lines, I remember so vividly saying to myself, I am having an abortion. There was no doubt in my mind, no guilt, no shame, or good girl values paraphernalia. What a feeling to regain your power. What a feeling it is to have intuitive feminism. Because it was after my abortion that I dug in on woman empowerment. It was this traumatic experience, the one that introduced me to Audre Lorde and Dolores Huerta and Roxanne Gay. But you see, my story is also the one of a privileged child that had resources to seek abortion services outside her country. A country where 54% of annual pregnancies will be resolved by abortion, but just one state of the 32 in Mexico practices legal abortion services. More than half of abortions in my country occur in the shadows. I picked a date, made an appointment, called a friend, crossed the border, drove 25 minutes, went inside Planned Parenthood, paid for my procedure, and 20 minutes later, my thirst for life was given back to me. No pain, no guilt, no shame. I was a woman executing my right to decide what were going to be the things and characteristics that will define me. Yes, COVID-19 has left long-term impacts on our bodies and on our lives. With unemployment still high, people are not able to pay rent or put food on the table. Childcare is also limited as COVID numbers are still high. These are just some of the challenges at play when people make their decision on whether or not they will have an abortion. COVID-19 has made abortions less accessible and even more difficult for all people to receive due to transportation, economic stability, and other factors. And in the work that I do, I see that transportation is such a huge access issue when it comes to getting vaccinated, when it comes to getting the protective um, equipment that they need. And it's always been an issue when it comes to um, getting abortion or having access to abortion. We need abortion justice. What we need right now is not the right to abortion. We need abortion justice. We need it to protect the living. Accessibility means that abortion needs to be funded in our communities and people should receive services such as telehealth and self-management abortion with pills. This is how we protect the living. Mass mandates protect the living from catching and spreading COVID in our classrooms, workplaces, and in public spaces. But our governor does not mind aborting our efforts to keep our children safe. That goes to show that if a child is born, it too will be deprived of living with the liberty to pursue their happiness. Life plus liberty plus the pursuit of happiness is the formula that equals to living. Living is ongoing and is stifled by our nation's ongoing pre-existing conditions such as patriarchy, sexism, racism, homophobia, mm -hmm. xenophobia, and classism. 
all the obias and isms. It is beyond time for the United States to recognize that access to abortion care is a key part to human rights. It is also beyond time to end the shame and stigma associated with this basic human rights of abortion. So today we stand together with love and compassion to proclaim that abortion rights is human rights and human rights is abortion rights once and for all. Thank you. Speakers in those clip were Effie Francis, an advocate for disability justice and trans rights, Chio Nunez from the Hive Community Circle, and Tiffany James from Zero COVID SC. And we're back on Soda City Speaks, and this episode we are bringing you two mayoral candidates that are vying to be mayor of this fine city. So today we have um, Mobadura, who we spoke to over the phone. And uh, as you might know, Mobadura is a two-term um, council can- councilman for District 3. Um, and he is now um, throwing his hat in the ring. Do I overuse it? <laughs> I think I we got to let it. it go. No, I can't. No, you love it. Okay. I have a hard time letting go of anything. <laughs> Sorry, TMI. Um, but uh, so he sat down and he spoke with us about what is, you know, what his history is with Columbia. And I think Dylan and I were both like having known him and, you know, he's a, a presence in Columbia politics, but we didn't know the early history. So um, it was really nice to sit and talk to him. Uh, about that and then we also had the opportunity to speak with Sam Johnson who came right here to the studio Um, we had uh, a very um, intense argument about chicken wings in Columbia (laughs) so he's he's a really just a great guy to you know sit and talk to but really smart great ideas for the city Uh, so yeah I mean I think you'll uh, I mentioned this actually in uh, another interview um, that'll be um later on in October when we have Tamika Isaac Devine and Daniel Rickerman. But I mentioned that to Daniel Rickerman that I think while it may seem so simple that we start off with who are you, mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's been really beneficial because even with uh, Mobadura, I mean, I didn't know much about him. I never lived in District 3. Um, I only really knew him whenever the election occurred in 2019 because uh, folks were running against him. And so uh, – yeah, I learned a lot about Mo in this interview and didn't realize, you know, his uncle was Andy. Yeah, um, from Andy's from, Deli. From Andy's Deli down in Five Points. And, um, you know, just a lot about uh, his migrating here and, and what he's gone through. And so, um, yeah, just going back again to the same point in the fizz of when we listen to these interviews from these candidates, their policies and their procedures and their leadership style are extremely important because we're electing them to do a job. And so we want to know how they're going to do that job and if they're going to do it effectively. Um, But I love that we start with the humanity of it. Mm -hmm. And I hope it connects you to these candidates a little bit more as the human being first. um, And then we get to the root of, of how they're going to lead. So it was a great conversation with Mo. And a great conversation with Sam. A lot of fun arguing about chicken wings. <laughs> Again, email us, sodacityspeaks at gmail.com with your favorite wing locations in the city because we are having... 
we are having an election night viewing party on November 2nd. So this Soda City Speaks doesn't only bring you the voices of the candidates. It's also going to bring you a party, nonpartisanal <laughs> or non-candidate party. If you want to um, find a place to watch the election results roll in, uh, please do join us at our studio on November 2nd and we will have a big screen set up. It is an outdoor location um, and we will have uh, the winner of the chicken wing competition also. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll have some chicken wings <laughs> out for y'all, BYOB, but please do come and join us. Yeah. Um, and email us and we'll tell you the secret location. It's sodacityspeaks at gmail.com. Yeah, email us with your favorite wings too so we can start figuring out who the best <laughs> are for that night. And um, we'll do some fun polls and, and get some more information out on social media as well so you can let us know if you're coming to the party. Yeah. So, so without further ado. Mo and? Sam. Here we go. Soda City Speaks, we are happy to have you, and this morning we are happy to have uh, Mo Badura, who uh, was formerly councilman in District 3 here in the city of Columbia, a business owner and somebody that's engaged in the community who has decided to throw his hat in the ring and run for mayor, and so we're going to talk to him today about that, uh, most specifically. So, Mo, thanks so much for joining us this morning and on a dreary your, Friday throwing your hat <laughs> for throwing your hat in the ring. That's and our favorite line on this podcast. Yeah, we say that a lot. <laughs> um, but we would just love to hear, um, like we start with every candidate, just uh, who's who are you? Uh, if you're not from Columbia, what brought you here and uh, why are you running? Oh, great. Well, first of all, I want to take a, take a minute and thank you all for having me uh, and invite me on your uh, on your show. Um, it, we, we appreciate all the media and everybody else is trying to get attention to people, to voters, to understand who their candidates are. So um, I, I uh, immigrated from uh, the Middle East, uh, Lebanon, to Columbia, South Carolina in 1980 uh, to follow the American dream. Uh, Andy was my uncle of Andy's Delhi, the late Andy of Andy's Delhi. And, and he was my, uh, <clears throat> my hero, my, uh, my go-to guy. Um, I, you know, I, he, he had a lot of effect on my life, of course. Uh, he himself was immigrated from Lebanon and, and built himself up and, and went to business and uh, followed the American dream. And that's, you know, that's what I came to do. So I attended uh, Midlands Tech and I got my associate degree in engineering. I went to USC and got my BS in uh, hotel, restaurant, tourism. And a uh, few, few years later, I went back and got my master's. Um, so I'm a, I'm a single dad of two boys, uh, a businessman. I've always been uh, in a small business kind of community. Um, I love helping uh, the city and uh, the community where I'm at. Uh, my first venture in business was the Eclair Pastry Shop in St. Andrews, where I was a volunteer fireman for eight years, where I operated the business for about 10, 11 years. Uh, and then after that, I'm, I moved back to Columbia and, you know, helped open uh, – Mediterranean Tea Room and a couple of other places. And of course, my last adventure was the uh, most grapevine on Rosewood that I built it from ground up. And then now I have uh, Bad Boys Cafe, uh, which was uh, the old mousetrap uh, in Oak Middleburg Plaza. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, I love uh, I love Columbia. I love my city. And that's why, I, you know, I got in, I got involved with the city council at the beginning in 2012 when I was uh, elected and honored with that position. Um, I have done, uh, I think I've done a great job on that position for two terms. Um, I made some promises and I kept those promises and I'll give you a couple of them. For example, I, uh, when I first uh, got elected, uh, the, uh, 
at a still court uh, was facing contamination from a previous uh, fertilizer plant uh, that I made promise to the residents I would have that fixed by uh, Christmas time and, and I delivered that promise. I, I promised the citizens of Columbia that we would stop the transfer and refocus our energy and invest in our water and sewer um, uh, infrastructure. Uh, and during uh, 2016, uh, I delivered that promise where we stopped the transfers. Um, unfortunately, this, after I roll it, after my uh, ended my terms ended in, at city council, uh, the current city council, um, uh, incurring the other candidates, are uh, are continuing the transfers. Uh, so far, they've transferred 8.25 million dollars in the past two budget years, uh, which affects the infrastructure and how much investment we're going to put into it. Um, so, and you know, I'm, I, I, like I said, I you know I've made promises during my uh, council uh, terms, and you know I've delivered those promises and. You know, I promised the city of Columbia residents uh, when I get elected for mayor that I will do uh, everything I can that I, my platform is setting for or promised them to do. And uh, we will deliver those promises and um, we're going to make a better Columbia because uh, I really believe there's a lot of other uh, Mobaduras out there just coming to Columbia to achieve the American dream. And uh, we want to make sure that Columbia is the American dream uh, city for people to come and become who they want to be. Awesome. I uh, I had to refrain from interrupting you a couple times because you said some things that I didn't know. Um, number one, I, I, I didn't realize that Andy was your uncle, and I think we all as Columbia residents um, remember his passing and and the deli and, and what a big deal that was um, yeah. when he passed and, and how many people in the community were affected. Um, so I, I I appreciate you sharing that with us. I did not realize that was a relation. Um, but something else a little more lighthearted is I did not realize you were a volunteer firefighter. Yeah, um, for eight years. Yeah, uh, certified fireman and everything. I went through the examination and everything. Yeah. <laughs> I think it really, like, I guess I wasn't so, I mean, I'm a new I'm a new resident to Columbia myself, and just the stamp that you've had on the city is is very impressive. And 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 thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, I had no idea about Andy as well. And um, yeah, you know, I live just down the street, so um, yeah, I had no idea there was an uncle. That's and, yeah. and the Mediterranean too. Room. I live like right down the street from there too. Yeah. So uh, Andy is like a father to me. You know, I I, I you know when when he passed, it really hit me hard, and it hit mm -hmm. his family, of course, but. Uh, it was hard. We were, you know, it was not expected. And it's funny because I just spent like, you know, all afternoon, or, you know, whatever, like a couple of days before he passed with him. And, you know, I always cherish the memories of him. But, you know, everything he taught me, um, I'm hoping I can pass that uh, that knowledge and that wisdom to my kids, uh, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, and and his legacy will continue to live through us for sure. And so, I mean, you clearly established your Columbia bona fides. <laughs> so thank you for that. And um, so we want to ask you about, uh, you know, about Columbia, but Columbia in the future. What is your vision for this city? What does this city look like to you in five to ten years um, as a resident, but also as someone who's running for mayor? And if you were mayor, what would the city look like five to ten years? What is your vision so look like? So, uh, number one, uh, as I travel around the state, around the country, uh, you know, the first thing when you tell them Columbia, South Carolina, especially in the past few years, 
uh, it's it's about corruption. It's like everybody uh, I talk to is like, oh my God, Colombia is so corrupt. Uh, so we want to end the corruption. Yeah, there, I think there's a there's an image out there that uh, you know if you don't know anybody at the city limit or city uh, government, you're not going to get anything done, and you're going to and and to that to that to a certain extent, that's kind of true. And and part of the corruption, as I've you know preached about this a hundred times and thousand and thousand times, there's still not enough. Is what happened with the Allen Benedict Fort. Uh, there's two people died. Uh, you know, 400 residents misplaced, and nobody's held accountable. Um, you know, I, I was the only councilman that I tried to uh, bring justice to all these people, and uh, still to this day, nothing happened. I mean, all their civil uh, lawsuits are pretty much dismissed. Uh, there's no criminal charges, and um, you know, they became homeless overnight. So that's really, uh, you know, part of the, you know, and I'd say that because it's a, it's a public example that I can talk to about. And there's a lot of other things that it happened during my tenure that I like to expose whenever I get elected and make sure that people are aware of. Number two, you, you know, you can have, you can achieve the American dream if you don't feel safe in the city. And that's why I want to go back to community policing. Um, you know, back in the day when Chief uh, when uh, uh, Chief Austin came from California to to Columbia, he introduced substations, police substations in the neighborhood and community policing, and it was working great um, until um, the other candidates uh, were on council at that time, and they cut that because they didn't have the money for it or for budgetary season reason. And I think that's that's wrong. I think uh, the the benefit outweighs uh, the savings and the budget. Uh, number three, we, as I mentioned before, we want to re- continue reinvesting uh, in our water and sewer. You know, having clean glass of water in the morning, uh, it, it's it's a it's a must for any resident in any city, right? Uh, so we want to make sure we continue that effort and stop the transfers again. Make sure we don't have steel plates in the middle of plates uh, in the middle of roads because you know the water department have to uh, cut the road and fix the water line. So if we have brand new water lines under the roads all the time. We wouldn't have to have steel plates and, you know, and cutting the road and try to fix it. Um, we we want to, also we want to encourage small businesses. That's why I'm, I want to eliminate small business tax fees, uh, it, small business license fees uh, for any small business that is, uh, has $500,000 in revenue and uh, under four employees. Uh, so we, we need to encourage service-like and uh, businesses, small businesses to support our neighborhood, to support our, our economy, our local economy, because that's important, and give them jobs to a lot of these kids, high school kids or graduate kids, or you know, uh, it's important that we support that. And of course, we want to we want to um, promote our city uh, to be all those above reasons that it's not corrupt, it's safe. You know, we invest in water and sewer, and, and we do everything we can so we can promote more companies to come here and hire our talent. Absolutely. Um, so. You know, one of the things that we talk about um, and have talked about with with most everybody is that um, I think people get hopeful in election season. Um, we get new visions, we get new ideas from candidates, um, and then people start to get jaded once people get in office because they feel like those new ideas and new promises don't happen. Um, and so you you know as well as I do the way that those things get enacted is through policy and, and through um, municipal ordinances and legislation. So all that to say, I, I, um, 
I agree with everything that you just said, especially the uh, steel plates. I know I have a sports car that sits low to the ground, and I get really tired <laughs> of the metal plates on the way home. <laughs> um, but but uh, but do you get it? I mean, it's it's the problem is you know we need to invest in our wire lines under the roads. That's oh, why sure. they're breaking. That's oh, yeah. why they're busting. You know, that's why we have steel plates. I mean, yeah. It, it, listen, local government, it's, it's not rock and science. It's really simple. It's all about what the people want and what services you can provide to them. Yeah, so. absolutely. And so that, that's, actually, that's the good segue to my question is, uh, can you expound a little bit on your platform or your policies, um, you know, all, all these visions that you have? How do you plan to make them happen? So uh, the first specific policy, we definitely need to pass uh, a, resolution, a resolution or ordinance for any council members not to transfer water and sewer. And I think we've done that. We, we, we really did that. The problem is, you know, council members and, uh, and you know, the, the current mayor that does not follow their own policy. So, so how, do you, how do you, you know, how do you adjust that or how do you, like, try to correct that? It's by publicizing. Nobody knew anything about the transfers until, you know, because I'm a passionate about the transfers and I pay attention to water and sewer. And what I see on Facebook when somebody says, oh, my God, I got groundwater coming out of my faucet. So, you, you know, so it's important that we publicize that. If the transfer happens, don't do it behind closed doors or not closed doors. Publicize it and make sure that council members are held accountable for their own for breaking their own policy. Number one. Uh, so it's an ordinance and a resolution we have to introduce, but make it a little bit more uh, tougher language. That way, if a councilman or council members or a whole, maybe other agency from the state can look at it and see if they can. I mean, the Supreme Court already ruled you cannot do that. Uh, so, you know, I don't know how much more clear uh, message that council members need to understand. Uh, number two, uh, set policy about community policing and uh, and substation, police substation. We need to set a policy with the city government, uh, with the other council members, uh, that includes how much budget, uh, how, you know, how much we need to spend on uh, substations and police officers and all that stuff more than we need to spend money on uh, upper level management salary. Uh, but anyway, so it's just a couple of examples like that. You know, of course, um, the small business license fee uh, it's another policy and ordinance we can pass and, and, and get council to approve it and, and which we can do that. I mean, it's, it's just a, you know, it's just like a, a simple, easy task and, and policy settings that, uh, I, I'm, I'm a hundred percent, uh, uh, sure that other council members were not uh, opposed to any of my ideas so far. So some of the, uh, conversation has been around the the new tax study and the tax rolls in the city um, in these forums and and some of the candidates have talked about it on the show and I think you know going back to your conversation about the business licenses um, would you like an opportunity to expound a little bit on your thoughts about the tax study and kind of the tax burden in the city in relation to small businesses of course yeah 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 yeah. so the tax study was uh, was uh, generated while I was on council I think it was completed in 2019 maybe 2018 somewhere around there and we've had you know we've had discussion about it so when the first when the study first came out uh we had we set a meeting with uh, richland county uh council and uh, school district council or school district commissioners and uh we, we we went to convention center we had a big table we talked about you know the challenges the city has to grow that 
because of the uh, millage point on the county and the school board. And, you know, we simply asked if they can trim their budget to lower their millages or, you know, that we can work together so the city and everybody gets. And of course, you know, the, the first answer I received or the only answer we received was uh, from Weathers, Dr. Weatherspoon goes, you want me to cut down children's lunch money or meals and kind of thing. So, um, so basically, we, we really didn't go anywhere. Uh, I mean, ha- have you ever seen taxes being reduced anywhere? Anywhere. Uh, this just ha- doesn't happen. Uh, so, but that, that being said, uh, we're in the city limit. During my tenure on council, we never went up on property taxes. Our millage point just stayed the, whole, it stayed the same the whole time I was in there. And because we, we, we pushed through it, make sure that we don't go up on our millage rates. Uh, so the city has done everything they can to maintain their um, their millage point or their taxes from being up or increased. Uh, that being said, you know the idea that other candidates might have that to lower uh, the uh, the rates from six percent to five percent for commercial properties, uh, it, it it's an it's it's almost an impossible mission. Uh, and I shouldn't say impossible but it's, a, it's an almost an impossible mission because you're going to require three different governments to come together for your wish and your or your uh, as a candidate idea uh, so and i'll give you a little bit more history act 388 was passed in 2006 and basically says that we're going to take all the property taxes off the single dwelling houses or single homes or homes in the city in the state of south carolina to and and from uh, their tax roll and transfer that uh, that money or that budget into the commercial properties. So commercial properties used to pay four uh, percent, and after Act 388 when it passed in 2006, which is by the way the resident of the state voted on it, uh, they moved it to the commercial properties. So the commercial properties jumped from four percent to six percent. But if you look at your tax bill, any any house, any resident in the state of South Carolina pays no money for uh, school, uh, public, for funding for public schools anywhere in the state. Um, so, for for the, so so there's there's a couple of other problems. One, you got you know you have to have three different agencies to agree to reduce their budget and reduce their taxes, which I've never heard any government reduce their taxes. Number two, uh, if you do reduce the taxes, you're gonna uh, affect public school um, funding. They're already underfunded. I mean, my kids, when they go to school every year, the teacher always asks for donations. They're always asked for school supplies. They're always at, because they're always underfunded. So now you're going to, you're going to cut their funding even more. Uh, it's just, it's just, um, you know, it, those are, I don't, in my book, the, I call them empty promises because uh, it's almost not going to happen. I'm not going to say they're, you know, uh, impossible promises. It could happen, uh, but the chances are, are very slim. So that's why I'm, you know, I want to focus about what I can do in my city, my city limit, my city budget, and what I can do uh, to maintain our taxes as they are. I will not increase, I will not increase property taxes or millage point for city of Columbia residents. It will not go up on anything uh, when it comes to to fees or taxes at all. Uh, I even made a promise. Uh, when I get elected, I will not go up on water rate for the next four years uh, until we get caught up with all the uh, uh, capital investment project that we have, CIP projects that we have on the books. So we can get caught up and clean all the, you know, replace all the main water lines uh, under the roads so we won't have to 
you know, put steel plates down. So it's important that we, you know, we, we put that message down that at the city level, I'm going to do everything I can to keep, keep us where we are. We're not going to go up on taxes or we're not going to go up on fees. We're not going to increase water rate, uh, water rate uh, rates, water, water rates. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll work with other agencies, but at the same time, I'm not a big fan of reducing uh, uh, school, public school budget. Uh, so investors and uh, builders uh, can make more money. I'm just not there. Thank you for that. And thank you for, um, you know, outlining some of your policies. I think here, I mean, as Dylan said, like policies are the way that we get places and we really on this pod podcast want to focus on a policy on you know how we make change and how that comes about so thank you for that um so this is our fun question uh it is okay. another policy question so just get in the mood for that uh and if i had a magic wand and i waved it around uh above you and gave you one policy wish so you got a policy wish uh whatever you wanted there would be no uh, trying to, you know, get the votes, it would pass, there would be a budget there for it. What would be the one policy that you would pass for the city of Columbia? Operate the city without any taxes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would, hey, <laughs> you said a magic wand. I gave you the magic wand. <laughs> that is, I mean, no. that is the you know, if we really did have a magic wand, that would be the number one answer. Yeah. I would love that answer too. Yeah. <laughs> there would be no sales tax. There would be no hospitality tax. There would be no property tax. There, would be no, there is no such thing as tax or a fee. How's that? Everybody will live happily ever after. Uh, I mean, you know, I, hey, you gave me a magic wand. I did it. Um, All right. Well, so in a serious matter, because that same question was asked the other day at the Rotary Club when we had a forum. Oh, and my really? answer is, yeah, oh, we thought and, we had rights oh, to that question. Yeah, yeah, the, so you and the free speaks. times are clicking. Maybe he's listening to y'all. Yeah, We've been know. asking that question for months now. <laughs> All right. Well, that's exactly what happened. Anyway, uh, so. You know, beside the no taxes and no fees, you know, of course, that's a that's a, a done deal. Uh, I, you know, my answer was to uh, redevelop the riverfront. I mean, I love to uh, get a policy going, get the funding set to redevelop uh, riverfront all the way from the Vista Casey and connect all three cities together around the river and rebuild that whole section uh, where you have condominiums looking at the liver, you're going to have small shops, you have small businesses, you have activities. It is uh, the it's, the possibilities are endless when you redevelop the uh, riverfront. And that's what I love to do. I would I would love to redevelop the uh, riverfront, uh, knowing that I know uh, what how I can fund it, which I really have good ideas how to fund it. And then, uh, you know, make it happen. And then that would be the magic wand answer. Moving here to Columbia, I always thought, oh, this riverfront doesn't look like what other city riverfronts or lakefronts right. look like. Like there's opportunity right. there, but I think there's also um, there should also be a cautionary note. Like I really appreciate like the greenways that are there and that it's not so developed. There's just kind of a niceness to that as well, especially if you come from a really big city that's overdeveloped right. it's nice to be able to go somewhere that has no condos or buildings or um so i think there's like a nice um uh equilibrium there that we could really reach for the river 
Yep. Well, I, and, and I can do it. I know how to do it. Uh, you know, I've talked about it with other uh, uh, developers and other ways to, we can do it. Legally, we can we can do it. And mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, financially, I think we can do it. So, uh, And I'm the only one that ever said that, by the way, mm-hmm. out of all the candidates. So um, I guess their magic wand is not as powerful as mine. <laughs> 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 well, your oh, magic you wand gets rid of taxes too. So, <clears throat> your magic wand is real powerful if it can get rid of taxes and still have a functioning city. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I love that answer too. Um, and that was something that um, when I, I ran for office, that was on my platform. I, I've discovered ways that other cities were. Um, developing their waterways and their riverfronts, um, but doing it in a environmental way. Um, so right. it, it married the two together where you were not interfering or affecting the, gov- uh, the uh, environment negatively, but you were also developing. Um, and I think that that is something that the city of Columbia needs to do. I think that should be a high priority. So um, should you get elected, I'll be sure to hold you accountable to that one. Listen, that would be uh, one of the top 10 things that I'll start working on the first month I get there. So we need to elect uh, corruption. That's really what I mean. That's a really big thing with me. So uh, but yeah, the, you know, building Columbia, it's it's a huge issue with um, all, all candidates. I just think I have the better ideas to get that done. Well, let's talk about those better ideas and your leadership okay. style really quickly, and then uh, we'll round out the conversation. But we've been asking this question of mayoral candidates because I think it's important. Um, we are not a strong mayor system here in the city, as you know. Right. Um, right. We have a weak mayor system. And so really, um, you know, for layman's terms, if you will, certainly this is not completely true, but you're just another council vote. Um, and I say that in jest because, of course, as mayor, you're a lot more than that. But my point is, from an effective standpoint or, ne- or on paper, um, you, you can be looked at as just another vote. And so what is your leadership style going to look like as, as the mayor who is casting the vision for the city and really leading the charge without necessarily having that um, – uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Strong voice. Yeah, without having that strong voice capability that that is actually lended. Yeah, <laughs> sure. So, uh, in essence, what would your leadership style look like to so inspire that there, vision? Uh, I will have to I would have to correct you a little bit because there's no such thing as a weak mayor. Uh, it's it's a it's a council manager form of government. So sure. you have you have a city manager with the council members around it and the mayor that leads. Uh, that's the head of the council. Uh, so the mayor has a lot to do with it, even though we are in a, in a city uh, uh, city manager or council manager form of government. Uh, you know, the mayor has a lot to do with it. He controls the agenda. He, you know, he discusses what uh, he brings other councils to his idea and his vision. And we haven't seen that in, in you know, the tenure, the years that I was uh, on council. Uh, you know, we, the, the, the philosophy is to count four votes to get it passed, which is a wrong philosophy. Uh, it's, it's important that you get all council members to agree on your vision and your mission for to better Columbia. And the Bull Street and the, base, and the stadium is really the, the, the perfect example for that. I mean, the whole idea we were counting four votes. We, that's it. It was four to three on both sides, and 
And it's not, that's not how you build a city. You divide the city right way when you're counting votes. Uh, so my lead, so um, as you know, I, I'm a businessman. I've been around businesses. I've developed a relationship with business owners and, and the community and everybody else because that's what we do. And, and, you know, business people, that's how they lead and how they be successful. Uh, and that's what I'll do when I, when I become mayor. I'm going to build my relationship with council members. I'm going to build my relationship with developers and group supporters and the neighborhoods and everybody else. We have to bring another uh, another vision uh, of way of uh, managing or uh, presenting our city uh, than better than what we're doing right now. I just feel uh, I feel right now we're still, even though we're not officially a strong form of government, but I feel like that's exactly what it is because. Uh, all we worry about is four votes to pass anything. And uh, I just don't think that's the right way to do it. Uh, and, 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 you know, I'm even debating or thinking about uh, passing a resolution when I get elected that if a developer or idea or uh, a, a vision that we don't have all council members agreeing on, uh, we will move it forward. Uh, so, and there's, you know, or maybe one, if somebody, uh, maybe one will say no and the rest will say yes. I mean, but I'm not going four to three vote and I'm not going to sit there and argue or, and count my votes uh, every time I want to get something done because uh, it's, that's not the proper way to do it. So that's that's my you know, th that's how I operate. That's how I manage. And I think that's how I can become a, a great leader and a mayor for the city. Great. Thank you for that answer. And I think like just building a more cohesive and um, United Council, that's that, that's a great vision. Thank you. Uh, mm -hmm. So we'd really like to thank you for coming on the show today and spending some time with us um, and spending time with our listeners. So before we let you go, uh, just give us your, you know, your one-line elevator speech. Why Mobadura? And then where can uh, listeners follow your campaign and find out more? Um, so uh, why Mobadura? So uh, please vote for Mo. Uh, as a businessman, a leader in the community who uh, loves uh, the city, who immigrated to make uh, Colombia his American dream city to achieve. Uh, you can go to my uh, website at uh, mo4mayor.com uh, or you can uh, uh, visit me on Facebook at mo4mayor.com. Uh, and and uh, you'll learn more about me and, uh, and all the other ideas we'll be posting. Uh, and uh, we'd love to have uh, your vote and your support on November 2nd. Uh, remember, Movadura for, Mo, uh, for Mayor is, uh, is the only leader uh, that can make Colombia better. Well, I appreciate you again spending time with us today. And uh, we wish you all the luck through November. Thank you. You guys are easy to talk to. Thanks for making it fun. And tell that bird, that. thank you for all the support. <laughs> yeah. You have a Mo supporter in Ome's backyard. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. All right. Take care, guys. You have thank a great you. weekend. Talk Bye. soon. Bye-bye. So to City Speaks, we're back, and this is it. We are finally rounding the corner and on our way to November, and the election season is in full force. And you have heard from multiple candidates, and now it's time to hear from mayoral candidates. And so we're joined this afternoon talking about chicken wings. China <laughs> Hut is a plug. <laughs> there is a plug for Millwood and Gervais Street, one of the cultural I, centers of Columbia. I got them going. They don't even know who they're hearing from yet. Hey. That's all I would say. That's all they need to under, uh, to know. <laughs> you can vote for me based on my chi uh, my 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 chicken wing uh, <laughs> recommendations. 
I know I know Colombia <laughs> that there, well. If you are a uh, China Hut chicken wing person, then you already know who you're voting for. <laughs> there you are. I guess this conversation's done. We know your chicken wings. <laughs> I'm telling you. What you all Sam don't Johnson get. Familiar, guys. <laughs> what y'all don't get is some of the off mic conversations that we have before we hit record, which are so much fun. Um, but we are joined this afternoon by Sam Johnson, who of course is running for mayor of the city of Columbia. We really appreciate your time this afternoon, and uh, we're ready to dig in. All right, so we'll start off like we do with everybody else. If you're not from Columbia, what brought you here? Um, and then tell us a little bit more about yourself and why are you choosing to run? Yeah, I'm born and raised here in Columbia. Uh, my parents went from Fairfield County, so I've got Fairfield County roots. My mom's from Ridgeway. My dad's from Winsboro. Uh, my mom and dad decided to move to Columbia when I was born because they wanted to see they wanted their child to have access to what they felt like the capital city could provide, you know, education that um, they thought may lend their son to their oldest child to be able to receive an education and um, become a first first generation college student. Um, and so, being born and raised here, there are some things that I've had an opportunity to to witness and learn from. I remember when I graduated high school and I watched my friends decide that they want to you know, pursue opportunities in, you know, the Charlottes, the Atlantas, the, the New Yorks of the world, right? I remember the same thing when I graduated college. And so I've seen that, that talent retention issue firsthand. Um, and so as somebody who has many friends that I've grown up with over the years who don't live in a Columbia zip code anymore. And, and so for me, I'm born and raised here, uh, went to the University of South Carolina, uh, had an opportunity to, to, to live in Bates' house and meet my wife. Uh, we have a golden doodle now uh, named Bates uh, because of it. Um, and so uh, we were even blessed enough to have the University of South Carolina uh, uh, Hospitality School do our wedding. And so, um, you know, the University of South Carolina holds a special place in my life, especially as a first-generation college student, uh, to, to see – uh, where it's allowed my family to go from a grandfather who had a fourth grade education who worked his butt off to provide for his 14 kids. And uh, and now to see one of his grandchildren uh, who's gone to school, who worked in the mayor's office, who's had an opportunity to be involved in so many different things in Columbia, which is why I'm passionate about this city. You know, just passionate about Columbia, uh, the things I've had a chance to be involved in, and now my wife, who's a lawyer here in Columbia, uh, we are raising a 15-month-old little girl who is uh, taking our household by storm <laughs> and, loves and loves chicken, too. I'm I feel like I have to clarify really quickly for our listeners that uh, we were debating the best chicken wings in Columbia before we got started. So that's where all that came from. And uh, definitely drop a line uh and let us know where your favorite chicken wings are in Columbia because we're going to have a chicken wing Please party. Please comment after you've eaten chi- uh, China Hut. Specifically, and, honey mustard or teriyaki. And uh, let me just plug this. We're having an election watch party. Uh, and uh, on the menu will be chicken wings. Whatever right. chicken wings win the the survey we're doing right now. So email us, sotocitysweeks at gmail.com with your favorite chicken wing spot. And whichever one wins... Yeah. We'll have them at the party. Yeah. And also email us if you want to come to the party. You know, November 2nd. It's <laughs> Sam's <laughs> emailing us right now. Right now. <laughs> I will come by. <laughs> <laughs> to make sure they're there. <laughs> but get some chicken wings if you got them. Yes. So Now, if um, I see Peebles at, at, the, uh, <laughs> at the election night party, we got a problem. 
yeah, so come to our party. Vote on chicken wings. SodaCitySpeaks at gmail.com. <laughs> Um, and, uh, sorry, I think we cut you off. Is there anything else you wanted to say on that question? Yeah. Um, so we know you're passionate about Colombia. Um, we've seen it ourselves. You know, we've been in this city and we've worked with you, um, on, you know, on various occasions. Can you tell us, I mean, this is a very important election, um, because it's the first time we're having a new mayor in 10 years. So tell us your vision for Colombia. What is your vision for this city, um, and what is it looking like in five to ten years in your, in your vision? So one thing I would say, just to couch the importance of it, this is the first election in you know, 11, uh, 12 years, but this is the first, uh, uh, this is the second election, second, second change in the guard that we've had in close to 30 years, right? Mm -hmm. So Mayor Bob was here for, for 20 years prior to Mayor Benjamin, and so we haven't had you know, a bunch of mayors uh, here in Colombia throughout, you know, our lifetimes, uh, for, for that matter, right? Um, and so as I look forward, you know, there was a, uh, a tax study that was done, and there's been a lot of conversation around that this election season. One of the things that is not talked about in that tax study is the age breakdown, right? And so uh, when we look at where Colombia's trends are, you know, we uh, we are losing populations of people in droves, and that and that and that population tends to be families, right? And so that 25 to 45 age range uh, of Charleston, Greenville, Raleigh, in uh, uh, some of the other cities that we are compared with, we are drastically behind in the in that age range, right? And so when you ask me the question about my vision for Columbia, we have to make sure that we are creating the quality of life. Uh, in a economic development sense, the term that you know that's used in the tax study that's, that many folks talk about is competitiveness, right? And so we got to make sure that you know, as we talk about our children, that they're going to receive the very best education. We've got to the next mayor of Columbia. I get asked the question, for example, often. You know, how will you know what will you do different than some of our mayors in the past, right? And the answer to that is we've got to be involved in our youth and our education in a way much more substantively than we've ever been. And so that's why we put out a whole plan that focuses on providing free after-school education for, uh, for our youth and eliminate registration fees and some of these types of things. So we've got to be very, very involved there. We've got to make sure that every child is going to live up to their God-given potential and they're going to be ex able to excel here in Columbia. But along with that, we've got to make sure at the end of the day, when they get to be 25, 45, when we raise these children in Colombia, we got to make sure that they know that there's a job opportunity, there's an economic future for them here in Colombia. And so we've got to you know, make sure that we are expanding our base. When we look at our hospital, hospitality and healthcare industry, when we look at our insurance technology industry, we've got to make sure that we are expanding and creating more opportunities there. The, uh, uh, one of the examples that I like to use is Capgemini, for example. You know, when you look at Capgemini, a starting salary of around $80,000, right? And so they are hiring computer science students right out of University of South Carolina, and you're getting an $80,000 gig, right? Would not have happened, Capgemini would not have come to Bull Street if there had not been gigabit fiber in the ground, right? And so we've got to make sure that we're making the type of infrastructure investment that allows for us to to be able to be that community, right? That city where you know you're going to be able to, to excel. You know, when I look at, for example, my little brother who lives in New York, uh, who graduated uh, a year and a half ago from the University of South Carolina, 
you know, I ask him and his peers, a lot of times the answer that I get back uh, when I ask them about where they choose to live, the answer that I get is that they have these ideas, these dreams, these visions of where they want to go. And they want to live in the best place where, you know, there is a reputation of other people having similar dreams and being successful, right? Uh, and so we have to be a culture and a climate where you know uh, Columbia is going to help you be successful. We've got to be, uh, in order to get there, though, there's some things that we got to make sure we tackle. we got to make sure that we are a very inclusive community that, that is welcoming of everyone. We've got to make sure that, uh, that this is a safe city. Right. And so uh, one of the things that I've been talking about a lot is public safety and the number of vacancies that we have in our police and fire department. We've got to make sure that we address that, um, because if people can't feel safe in their homes, if they know that if they don't feel like their children are going to receive the very best education, um, if they don't have the ability to live in a in a, uh, a dwelling that provides them with dignity. Right. So we've got to address housing. If we don't have those kind of three staples, if we don't check the box there then as a city, we are not going to move forward. We are not going to be uh, able to, uh, to, to excel and conquer in the way that I think we should. So um, you, you already kind of started to touch on some of these things, and so I guess this is more an opportunity to expound. Um, but, you know, a lot of times when folks are running, it's a fresh perspective. It's a fresh look. It's a new vision. Um, and, and I think we get excited because – we're hopeful for a new vision. Uh, we're hopeful that the things that candidates are promoting, I, I don't even want to say promising, but the things that they're promoting are going to come to pass. Yeah. Um, but you know as well as I do, having been in the mayor's office, um, you can promote it all day long, you can have great visions, but it's the policy that makes it happen. Yeah. It is the legislation or the municipal ordinances, it is the votes on council. Um, so. Can you talk a little bit more about your platform, a little bit more about how you plan to get these things done from a policy perspective? Well, I'll start out with, with the latter and work, on, work towards the former on policy. So my background in the mayor's office was uh, not only policy, right, uh, formulating policy, uh, working to address issues. So if the mayor and council said, hey, we need to focus on economic development, figure out how do we attract more revenue, uh, my job was to uh, focus on making sure that that's the case, right? So, uh, if it's if it's a, a vision of uh, making Bull Street come to ha uh, come to fruition, uh, my job was to to work to uh, figure out how do we do it? How does Columbia conquer a 182 acre hole in the middle of its city, right? How do we make sure that an area that uh, doesn't pay any taxes that um, is a challenge for us. How do we how do we do that, right? And and part of that too is very practically speaking, how do we get the votes, right? Because at the end of the day, you can have the policy, but if you don't have four votes, you don't have anything, right? And so um, and so my experience is in making sure that not only can we craft policy, but that we can also make sure that we get the support of city council. And I think sometimes what people don't recognize is that we you know we look very you know very uh, uh, singularly at city council, as if city council has the uh, end-all, be-all uh, power to, to do some of these things. Uh, by state statute, county council grants e economic incentives in Columbia, right? And so the mayor has to work with county council and has the ability to get six votes there if, if we're going to move the needle on some of these 
critical issues, right? We're not going to move the issue on uh, needle on housing, for example, if we don't have a mayor who can get six votes on county council. And so I think it's extremely important to have somebody who's able to bring people to the table who has a personality and a, uh, and a track record, a, uh, uh, a vision that allows for folks to, um, to want to work with them, right? And you know, I think the other part of it is the policy. All right, so you've got to not only be able to get the votes, but you got to have somebody who who brings these ideas to the table, who who will work these issues, and and has a track record of getting these issues done. Right, and you know, I think part of the challenge that we have in Columbia is, you know, when you're on council, you know, you show up and you vote. When you're mayor, you know, you have a responsibility of pushing the narrative, right, of of moving this vision forward, and and so I have a of a. a a wealth of experience of watching that happen firsthand and being responsible for it. And so, for example, uh, you know, some of the incentives that we've had in Columbia have been very singularly focused, like a student housing. Um, you know, we've got to broaden that. We've got to make sure from an economic development perspective that we're able to focus on, you know, I mentioned it earlier, knowledge economy jobs. Uh, so how do we make sure that we, we're building Class A office space and, and creating opportunities for more tech companies to come here? How do we make sure that uh, as, as we look at health and care technology jobs that uh, we're, we're properly incentivizing that so that we, uh, we start to position ourselves as, as a city that's in the same sentence as, as the Raleigh's of the world and then, uh, the Nashville's of the world. And, and then also at the very same time, we've got to make sure that we are tackling some of the, the, the long-standing challenges. Uh, you know, for example, you, know, you look at uh, the 29203 zip code, right? Um, you know, we talk about health care. We can talk about food deserts. We've got to make sure that we have a mayor who uh, has a policy background that can push and make sure that we have the proper incentives uh, to, uh, to, to, to use uh, new ideas, right, like an uh, economic overlay district. Uh, so that we can incentivize grocery stores in Ferro Road and North Main, where uh, where we have not seen grocery stores remain right in our communities, and and we we don't have the opportunity to choose selectively from a Whole Foods or a, uh, or, or a Trader Joe's or uh, any of the uh, the public six of the uh, public six of the world. It's hard to say uh, public. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we've got to make sure that we're tackling that, um, and then you know as we look to move the needle and create more density in Columbia, we have to have a mayor who thinks about that from an economic development perspective. We're not going to grow and, and, and have grocery stores succeed. We're not going to be able to make sure that we move the needle in education, for example, if we don't create more density in some of our corridors. So we have to uh, have a mayor who's going to come at it from that lens and think through uh, the policy and then be able to show your colleagues on city and county council, this is how we get there. This is the vision. This is, this is what success for Columbia looks like and have them buy into it right um, I think about it a lot in the sense of you know you got you know the quarterback uh, can be great right but if they don't have the receivers or running back or uh, offensive line then nothing's going to happen and so we've got to make sure that analogy makes no sense to me <laughs> I don't watch football just <laughs> oh man she's Canadian and this doesn't is, watch football <laughs> this is SEC fo- I mean you're in SEC territory man <laughs> oh and so I I do know this. It is Clemson a game sucks. weekend. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's parents' weekend. We're recording this on Friday the 24th. So I, I have been told because there's a game, because it's parents' weekend, I should not leave my house. That's all I know about football. <laughs> <laughs> you ruined his great analogy. 
So I just want for the listeners, before we started taping, Dylan made a comment about people's chicken. Ome just said something about football. Janelle and I are going to have the rest of this conversation. So you, um, before we were interrupted about football, <laughs> you um, started to kind of allude to this, and so I, I want to ask this question now. Um, we are not a strong mayor system in the city. We're a weak mayor system. And so because of that, I think sometimes people wonder, you know, what what is the difference, I guess? Yeah. What exactly... If the mayor's just one more vote on council, what's the difference? And so my question to you then is, knowing that we will maintain a weak mayor system, what is your leadership style? Because you are the only full-time, per se. Uh, let's clarify that. So, uh, because I think one thing is very important, right? One, I will go on the record and say, I do believe that Columbia should have a strong mayor, right? And let me also clarify, the mayor is not a full-time position. The mayor is a part-time position. What? Yes. So under a, uh, the former government that we have, the mayor is not a full-time mayor. Yeah. So, um, and so, um, oh, man, I'm a little bit like a cheerleader, man. I <laughs> talk my hands. Um, but, yeah, so the, the, the mayor, yeah, the mayor is just a member of council. So, so use that then. Yeah. That, I've, I've been educated today. Yeah, I truly didn't realize yeah. it was a part-time position. So let's expound yeah. on that a little bit. Yeah. But also, that still plays into my question of uh, you are still mm. the, the figurehead, if you will. You mm. are the leader of the council. What's your leadership style? Because it is a weak mayor system to cast the vision for the city and lead us that direction. Well, and I shared a little bit earlier, right? I mean, the mayor has to have a very strong vision. I shared my vision for where Columbia has to go. And I think the mayor has to be able to, to set the tone and say, guys, you know, when, when we look at city council, when we look at county council, this is where we go. You know, they've got to make sure that the um, the the personalities, the the issue, uh, every member of city council, every member of county council is going to have their core issues that they care about. The mayor has a responsibility to not only understand those issues, but to know which issues uh, correspond with which members, right? To know, all right, look, I look at this member of city council and I know their district. I know the heart of their community. I know that they are focused on these sets of issues. And this, I want to help that member of city council be successful. I want to make sure that we are moving the needle there, right? And so you have to be able to speak to uh, very intelligently and uh, with a vision how you will work with that member of city council to move their district forward and work alongside them. And so you're really a teammate. Uh, the mayor has a, a responsibility to be a teammate, uh, to be a coach at times, to be a champion, to be a chief cheerleader. Uh, and so going back to the former government, you know, a strong mayor is a full-time mayor, right? Uh, is, is somebody who has a responsibility day in, day out, uh, 24-7 to, to be mayor. Uh, under our former government, Weak mayor system. Um, we, we have a uh, the we say weak mayor it is a council manager form of government. Uh, the city manager is a, is a full time manager who has a responsibility responsibility day in day out to manage city staff. Our mayor does not have that responsibility. The mayor presides over city council at council meetings, works alongside uh, the city manager to uh, uh, you know 
provide signatory uh, uh, authority when necessary, that sort of type uh, type of thing. But the mayor is not technically a full time mayor, a full time position, right? Uh, does not uh, is not a is not a city staff person, right? And so the city manager has those more day to day responsibilities, and I think that's important, right? I think you know personally, I think the mayor should be full time. I think you know you call the mayor like they are full time. You know, you don't respect, you know, you don't expect to call the mayor and the mayor say, I'm doing my day job. Right. Uh, and so I think the mayor um, of a capital city in the United States of America that wishes to grow, that wishes to make sure that every child can live up to their potential, that wishes to make sure our police department, fire department are ed- adequately staffed and have the resources that they need, that wishes to tackle uh, a zip code that for 20 and 30 and 40 years has been um, at the very bottom of some of our healthcare statistics, like uh, amputations due to diabetes, like uh, heart disease and stroke. I think we need a full-time mayor to make sure that we are really moving the needle on some of these issues. It can't be a piecemeal, part-time approach. Uh, And so I would be a fan and an advocate of us really revisiting that conversation. Now, certainly that's not on the ballot this year, and I recognize that. And so the question also is, can I be effective as uh, uh, under this council manager form of government? And the uh, point I would highlight is that I already have. You know, I have worked in the mayor's office under this form of government. I know the challenges. I know what it's like. I'm the only person who's had a, uh, uh, the perspective of working with city staff, right? You know, when you're a member of city council, you have the the privilege of coming to city council meetings and voting and um, having the uh, ability to show up at press conferences. And while that's great, you know, when you're city staff, you have a responsibility day in and day out. I know what it's like to work with our water and sewer department. I know what it's like to work with our police department. I've helped them implement body cameras uh, across the city. I was, a, you know, when when we were doing that, we were the first city to do that in South Carolina. I know those challenges. I know uh, what it's like to to uh, to have uh, a city go through a flood and have the responsibility and and and, and answer phone calls and and make phone calls to. Uh, to citizens who don't want to leave their home because they uh, don't want to lose all their uh, belongings but have to convince them that is the right thing, that our fire department is knocking on your door for a reason. Um, and so I think that perspective as somebody who's had that responsibility in the mayor's office helps me um, have context to, to know the responsibility and the weight of being mayor. And so I think that's extremely important. Um, you didn't hear that there, but Dylan said, wow, I think, that, I mean, that's a great answer. And, and, and I think it's important for us, you know, to look at the system of governance, not only to talk about, uh, you know, not that that's not important, the policies, but also to think about the way it's structured and to always be revisiting it. Um, so those are those really appreciated comments. Um, so this is our second to last question, and it's our fun question. Um, uh, we asked it of every every candidate that we've had um, at the studio so far. Uh, so if I had a magic wand and I could, I always forget it. Wave. I could wave my magic wand around um, and grant you one policy wish. One policy that you could implement. There would be no resistance. You would have all the votes, no resistance from council. You'd have the funding that you um, would need for it. What would be uh, that one policy that you would implement? So 
I'll say this, and this is a personal one for me. So for me, it'd be the chief health officer. Um, you know, if if um, we weren't in a pandemic, if this was were another time, maybe it'd be a different answer. But I will tell you, when I look at where Columbia is holistically, right, outside of this pandemic, and then I think about you know where two nine two zero three ranks in COVID uh, transactions, right. Um, we see an unhealthy community being ravished. Uh, and so as somebody who's lost um, a grandmother, grandfather, and an aunt to COVID-19, and we see our teachers who are struggling right now, we see children that we are literally losing um, right now, and we still have so many issues to tackle in the healthcare space, um, it'd be the chief health officer. I, a lot of folks, some folks say, well, is that a, really a space that the city needs to be involved in? One, two things I'll say there. One, if you look at progressive cities across this country, they're going in that space, right? And they, and they were going there before this pandemic. They've hired chief health officers to move the needle. The second thing I would say is we can't afford not to. So you, know, you can say, well, we need more, you know, we need to be focused on um, our business community or we need to be focused on any other issue, right? And I'm going to tell you, at the end of the day, none of those issues um, tackle or are, are able to be tackled if everybody's dead, right? Yeah. And so um, public health and having a chief health officer be my one wish. Sam, we, um, you know, you certainly worked in the mayor's office. You're not shy about that. You've got a great relationship with Mayor Benjamin. He's endorsed you. Um I guess I really want to give you an opportunity now um, to to talk to the folks that might be asking the question, what makes you different? You know, whether you you loved or disliked Mayor Benjamin's time in office, um, you know, he's been there for over 10 years. So I think a lot of people are asking, what makes Sam Johnson different? Well, one, I would say every human is different, right? You know, I've got a little brother who's 11 years younger than me, same mom, same dad, and the kid is just... You know, he's a finance major. I was an English guy, right? Um, between me and Mayor Benjamin, uh, one, of course, the obvious is I'm much better looking. Um, I have a uh, more youthful glow. But he listens to this. He knows it. I mean, he's being honest with himself. But I think in all seriousness, though, you know, there's a couple things I would say. First, every leader is different depending on the time, right? And so if Columbia was reelected Mayor Benjamin for the first time, right, in 2021, he would be a different mayor than he would have been in 2010 because we're at a different point, right? So when Columbia elected him in 2010, we were coming off a recession, 2007 to 2009, the city hadn't closed its books in two years, right? And so he had to focus on being a good fiscal steward uh, of the city's dollars, right, of our, of our dollars, right? And so those were the things that were extremely important to him. Uh, the fire department had closed down firehouses, and so there was a risk of uh, insurance ratings dipping and that sort of thing. So he had to respond to that. Then he had to respond to a flood. You know, then he had to respond to this pandemic. And so those are the challenges uh, that shaped who he was as a leader, right? And so you can't discount that. So the next mayor is going to have to respond to what comes ahead. You know, what, what you know, over the next four years, um, 
you know, is going on that, you know, you have to be able and ready to lead on, right? And that's essentially what I think people need to understand is that when you elect a mayor, you're electing someone to lead on these issues, on the issues that arise. And so you want somebody who is going to not back down, uh, for example, when, uh, when you're in a pandemic, and you know, there. If you feel like your child needs to wear a mask, if that mayor feels that way, you want them to step up, right? You want a leader that's willing to step up. And so, one thing I would say is similar, is that uh, I'm strong in my beliefs, and so I care a lot about my community. I care about. Uh, I look at the the children of our community as if they're my own, right? And so, I want to make sure uh, that that we're moving this city forward and addressing. Uh, Colombia in a way that everyone has the opportunity to, to survive and thrive here in Colombia. But the issues that I'm going to lead in on are going to be different, right? And so, uh, for example, you know, right now we've got a, a real need uh, as I related to that zip code, right? So we've got to make sure that, for example, uh, the next mayor delivers on gro bringing grocery stores uh, to 29203, right? We've got to make sure that the next mayor delivers on providing housing. And one thing I want to clarify, too, is that no, we have you know the issue of housing comes up a lot, um, and and it's come you know in, in this in this um, you know election season in, in this cycle, and we're not just talking about uh, affordable or attainable housing as it relates to um, you know housing public housing that a housing authority might provide. We're talking about housing that allows for seniors to to age in place, right? To be able to live in their communities and have receive the type of care that they need to make sure that they are uh, able to, uh, to to thrive in their community and have walking trails and some of these types of things that uh, that are necessary for them to live healthier lives, which goes back to my chief health officer, right? <laughs> but uh, we're also talking about making sure that when kids graduate from the University of South Carolina, Benedict College, Allen University, that they're able to live here in Columbia in a way that doesn't have them. Uh, uh, as uh, we like to call, we used to call. It, I don't know if this is a, uh, the politically correct term anymore, but starving artists, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we want to make sure uh, that these young folks who are starting their careers uh, very modestly are able to live in Columbia and be comfortable, are able to participate in our city, and we're not going to be able to retain the talent. We can, we have to create the jobs. But we also have to create the the living environment for them as well. And so, housing is something that we have to tackle. And so, the next mayor has to be able to to focus and bring uh, to bear the uh, the uh, the ability to deliver on some of these issues. Now, the other part of that is our styles, right? And so. You know, everybody's leadership style is different. Everybody has a different, you know, DNA, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, certainly uh, our leadership styles may be similar in some instances, but at the end of the day, we're different people. And so uh, certainly, you know, I think that um, that's an attribute that I look to lean on. Now, one of the things I'd also add is if we were, you know, exactly the same, I, I think we probably wouldn't have worked so well together in the mayor's office, right? And so... One of the things I think about is, uh, you know, part of my responsibility in the mayor's office, I talk about policy, I talk about making sure that we're able to get the votes to get some of these things done at the end of the day. And so part of my responsibility was to bring folks together. And so um, I think part of my experience of being the person behind the scenes is, uh, is also part of my leadership style, right? I understand what it takes to dot the I's and cross the T's. 
Um, and so uh, be, having that experience also shapes how I lead, right? And I think that's extremely important as well. Sam, thank you so much for all your really thoughtful answers and spending this time with us, um, you know, talking really serious stuff and also just, you know, having a great time and joking <laughs> around. And I know you take your chicken seriously and your football, but I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> but I'll tell you, so, um, and I'll take that as the last question. Um, <laughs> chicken, China Hut is, <laughs> is not something I like to joke about. <laughs> I was offended when <laughs> Dylan mentioned Peebles. Um, and as a graduate uh, of the University of South Carolina twice, I do have to take you know, the University of South Carolina football um, uh, jokingly. I, I, I do have a sense of humor when it comes to, comes to football. Uh, I was not yeah. many years. So, so on that, uh, oh, I do okay. have a, a little bit of uh, levity there. I can, I, I, I can introduce humor uh, there, but when it comes to my chicken, not necessarily. <laughs> I, I got it. I got it. I got it. I will. I will maybe watch the game this weekend. That is so disingenuous. I'm not watching the game. This <laughs> I, I didn't believe you when you said that. I, was like, I don't know about that. Um. So, uh, thank you for for your time for your you know your. Openness. Was that seriously the last question? No. No. Oh, okay. okay. Now is the last question. Okay. Okay. So our last question is. Um, Give us your elevator speech. Why Sam Johnson for mayor? And then where can our listeners find more and follow your campaign? Well, I like to say this. Imagine a Columbia where you know that some of these issues that we're talking about uh, throughout this podcast are tackled, right? Imagine a Columbia where we are retaining the talent, where when you look at the age ranges of 25 and 45, that you know that Columbia has more young families than any of these other communities in Greenville, the Charleston, where we're growing by 40 and 50 families a day, right? Where, uh, where Columbia is that community. Imagine Columbia where you know that when it comes to public safety, you don't have those vacancies, where you know that there's a police officer who has the ability, to, a, a, a department, where you know that they have the ability to, to walk down your street and get out of their patrol car. Um, you know, look at a Columbia where, you know, when we talk about uh, public health and, and, and some of the challenges that we've been ravaged by over this past year, imagine a Columbia where, you know, even if you are in a pandemic, you know that your community has sidewalks, has infrastructure, where you know you're able to live across the city, no matter what neighborhood we're talking about, you know that you live in a in the in a type of housing that you can feel comfortable in, that you have access to the internet, that you know that your child, if they are sent home from school because the class has to quarantine, that you know that they are not going without, right? That they're going to be able to be competitive, and so these are the types of things that Columbia has to move on. We've got to make sure that in 2021 we get there. Right. We can't continue to year after year have some of these issues that uh, that linger, that we don't address. And so I'm running for mayor because I want to make sure that we move the needle, that we tackle some of these challenges, that we we make sure that we are uh, able to to look at some of these issues just like I talk into this microphone head on. Right. I want to make sure that uh, Columbia is is well positioned to be one of the most uh, talented cities in America, that, that you know that uh, Columbia is a place where we are growing, where uh, when, when we look at uh, the issue of our tax base, for example, 
that you know that there's uh, knowledge economy jobs that are coming here in the droves, right? So that you have more families and more communities that are paying into our tax system. And so that we don't have to worry about do we have the revenue to provide after-school programs? Do we have the revenue to uh, to make sure that our kids per pupil are receiving the level of education that they deserve here in Columbia, one of the capital cities in America? And so that's the type of leadership that we need here. And I'm so thankful for this opportunity to not only come onto this podcast, but to run for mayor and have this conversation. And so I'm so uh, honored to, to, to be able to knock on doors and have these one-on-one conversations, to, to be able to participate in some of these forums and hear feedback from individuals and, and to have folks say thank you for putting some of these issues and ideas forward. We need new ideas to tackle some of these old problems in Columbia. And so I'm so thankful for uh, you guys this afternoon to, 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 to introduce a little levity and talk about chicken. <laughs> Uh, but also to uh, to talk seriously about our community and our our neighborhoods that I know each of you care about so much, and I know that there are some very serious issues that each of you care about um, critically and, and want to move forward desperately. And so um, I'm thankful for the opportunity to sit here in this garage. And for those of you who are listening to the, to this podcast, a studio, not a garage. let me let me finish studio, my studio, not a garage. Let me finish my answer. <laughs> To participate on this podcast that is is recorded in a garage that has become you guys' studio. <laughs> Dylan's not letting me get through my answers like I want to. But thank y'all. So in all seriousness, thank y'all so much for this opportunity. And where can our listeners follow you? So uh, we have an uh, amazing website, Sam Johnson for Mayor. I would encourage folks... You know, you can read my bio on the Meet Sam Johnson tab, but more importantly, check out our policy. So there's a tab there that shows you. One of the things I would I would say as somebody who's participated in city government, who um, has worked in the mayor's office, who ran campaigns, who cares about the, the civic nature of our democracy, your elected officials need to show you policy. They need to show you a roadmap of how they're going to go from here to there. You know, we elections should not be popularity contests, mm-hmm. uh, and they shouldn't be, you know, uh, also single issue contests, right? We need to make sure that our our elected officials have the the breadth of knowledge to move our cities forward holistically. And so, I would encourage our listeners to to check out our website. Certainly, we're on social media. Uh, we're on Twitter and um, Facebook and Instagram and all those wonderful social media uh, channels and that sort of thing, too. And so I look forward to engaging uh, with our uh, electorate on those mediums as well. Awesome. Sam, thank you for your time this afternoon. Thank you for running. And I would lastly say you can also <laughs> just shoot me a text, uh, okay. 803-397-5920. I think you're the second candidate to offer your phone number. Yes. and um, But I've got the best phone number. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you for your time. Have a great afternoon. All right, and we're back. Again, a big thanks to Mo and Sam for joining us here at Soda City Speaks, speaking to us and speaking to y'all. And we're ending like we always do with our community listings. Lots going on in October. And again, just a reminder, we have two episodes this month. You'll have another opportunity to see what's going on in October in Columbia. But for now, we have the Agape Table movie night screening of Pray Away taking place on October 19th, 7 p.m. 
at the 1013 Co-op, which is located at 1013 Duke Avenue. It's the new site of One Columbia. We'll be having the screening in the backyard. Everyone is invited to join. It is part of the official Pride uh, festivities that are taking place in October in our city. Uh, so come out, join, and watch this film about um, ex-gay conversion therapy advocates speaking about um, just the, the pain and the harm and the trauma of conversion therapy. October 19th, 7 p.m., 1013 Duke Avenue. For more information, visit theagapetable.org. I'm very excited about that one. It, it's timely, um, especially considering that the city passed the ordinance yes. banning conversion therapy a couple months ago. Um, and so the Agape Table, in conjunction with uh, One Columbia, Frame by Frame, and SC Pride, very excited to put on that film screening because, uh, again, the timeliness of what's gone on, we want to highlight the stories of the hardship mm -hmm. and the realities of the trauma that have been caused because of so-called conversion therapy. The film, I've already seen it. It's very well done. I will be there, of course, that night as well, but I wanted to kind of... <laughs> um, Screen the screen. Is that how you say screen it? Screen the film. <laughs> screen the film. Um, <laughs> because it, it, I wanted to make sure that it was, um, you know, checked all the boxes. Mm -hmm. And it does. It was really well done, really tells the story. But I'm also really excited um, because we will have a panel afterwards of um, so a faith leader. Uh, we'll have someone who has experienced conversion therapy themselves. And we are actually going to have one of the producers of the film joining us through Zoom. Um, so it's going to be an awesome conversation after. We will have hot chocolate if it maybe gets cold by then, or we'll just have soda and popcorn. <laughs> um, but would love for you to come out. Yes, visit agapetable.org or find us on social media, Instagram and Facebook, at agapetable.org. And I don't know if you know, but we had announced a uh, last episode that um, one of the uh, school board members of um, Richland One had stepped down. So now there is an election. It's on October 26th uh, for a new school board uh, representative, and there will be a candidate forum for yeah. the candidates. So the NAACP Young Adults Committee um, got together and decided that this was an important election, mm -hmm. um, that it is a special election. So unfortunately, it's like the week before the mayor and city council elections. And so um, this is just your friendly reminder that that election is really important too. So mm -hmm. if you're in Richland One School District, please don't forget to vote in that election. But also the NAACP Young Adult Committee felt like there wasn't a forum or anything really to introduce us to these candidates. And so that forum will be held on October the 12th at 6.30 p.m. It will be a virtual forum. Um, so it will be streamed on Zoom as well as on the NAACP Facebook page. And um, you can submit your questions to the candidates to NAACPcolumbiayac at gmail.com. And we can link that in the show notes. It already has the Zoom link available. Um, so we can link all of that in the show notes. Uh, folks running include Leslie Harville, Jim Manning, Robert Lominak and Hamilton Jacobs. So you've got four folks vying for that seat. And the virtual forum, again, will take place on October 12th at 6.30 p.m. And in our next episode of Soda City Speaks, in the Fizz segment, we will bring you segments of that forum because we find it really important to cover as well um, that race. And um, I know it's probably being overshadowed by the it November is. 2nd mm -hmm. city race. So, Well, and it was such a sudden 
resignation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think everybody's just been caught off guard. And, you know, that is – I was thinking about this the other day, and this is my own commentary. Please forgive <laughs> me. But I was thinking about this the other day. It's kind of that the, the regulatory and bureaucratic versus the common sense mm-hmm. is like because of the way the bylaws and things are structured, they had to have the election on this date. Okay. You know, so you have a resignation and then you have a certain time frame that you have to have the election within. Um, so I wish they could have just done it in conjunction with the mayoral race to guarantee the mm-hmm. turnout. Yeah. Um, but again, just reminding you folks that are engaged in District 1, please get out and vote. And famously hot South Carolina Pride is back in person. All very, very exciting. On October 22nd and 23rd, it is a scaled down version in person this year. But the parade will be held on October 22nd, starting at 7.30 p.m. on Main Street from Laurel to Lady. And it will end with the Get Lit concert featuring Berlin on Main Street at Lady starting at 8.30. And, of course, the after party at the Capitol Club. And on Saturday, October 23rd, will be the famously hot SC Pride Festival from noon to 9 p.m. Again, on Main Street from Lady to Hampton with Family Pride, Drag Story Time, and Famously Hot Ultra VIP Lounge. So fancy at the Columbia Museum of Art. Yes, and um, we have so much entertainment this year, um, a lot that you do not want to miss. But yeah, so just definitely come out to the parade on Friday night and see. It's always a fun time. And then the festival all day Saturday, uh, well, from, what is it, noon to Mm -hmm. 7. Lots and lots of vendors out there. Um, There is the... um, family center so there's like the richland county library the harriet hancock center will be there um, for like the family pride area which will also be on the street and then like i said just a ton of entertainment on friday night um you'll have kylie sonique love um plastic tiara jada essence hall uh, and that's just to name a few on saturday you've got got milk you've got joey j sharon needles heidi closet um and then of course you've got um vanilla ice which I know is a little bit controversial, um, but we are excited to have Vanilla oh, Ice yes. here, especially those night. of us who are 90s babies. Um, I can't remember <laughs> off the top of my head if that's Friday or Saturday, and I'm trying to find it. I would assume it's going to be Saturday. That is too much. I um, will be there. So definitely follow Famously Hot South Carolina Pride on Facebook, on Instagram. Go to the website, uh, scpride.org. Uh, they have, again, ton of entertainment, and they are constantly updating uh, what that day is going to look like, what the entire festival is going to look like. And, of course, it'll be a scaled-down version. They're following CDC guidelines, sanitation stations, um, so they are trying to keep it as safe as possible. But, hey, this is the Pride event for the state, and they wanted to push through and make it happen. And you know what else is back? The South Carolina State Fair. Woohoo! Um, as you might remember last year, I think it was a drive-in just for the food, but they are back in person October 13th to the 24th. Um, State Fair with all its fun animals, rides, food, all of it is back. And of course, the rocket. The rocket, I don't think it believes. No, but it does it. It's it just see you at the rocket. <laughs> see you at but the rocket. I love fair food. <laughs> and, of course, the State Fair says on their website that they are following COVID-19 protocols. They'll have hand sanitizing stations, um, an intense check-in process, and limited contact. Face coverings will be required. Increased uh, cleaning protocols and hygiene sa- uh, signage ac- across the fair. And, finally, the Walk for Freedom is coming to Columbia. 
on Saturday, October the 16th from 10 a.m. to noon. Participants will join as activists for freedom in conjunction with the A21 organization. A21 is dedicated to seeing a world without slavery and human trafficking in the 21st century. October 16th is their local day of action. Uh, So they say, act locally, think globally. And recognizing that human trafficking occurs all across the world, participants will join and walk from the Judicial Center up Main Street to the State House in complete silence in a single file line to draw attention to the fact that many victims of sexual assault and human trafficking don't have a voice. And we are ready to highlight and bring to light those travesties and bring them a voice. So the event will be on October the 16th, Saturday, starting at 10, meeting at the Judicial Center and ending at the State House. And those are your community listings and your happenings for Columbia in the month of October. And that brings us to an end of another great episode of Soda City Speaks, if I might say so myself. <laughs> this episode was hosted and produced by myself, Ome Salma Rahimtula, and Dylan Gunnels. Follow us on all the social medias at Soda City Speaks or send us an email. Remember, if you want to join our party, our election night watch party, email us about that or anything else. Soda City Speaks at gmail.com. Our theme music is produced and performed by Preach Jacobs. You can find him at Preach Jacobs on all the socials. And we just really appreciate you joining us today. We love getting to do this, and we hope you'll join us next, well, in the next two weeks. And let Soda City speak to you.